0: The United States Air Force Jack Veteran Dave the Lawyer introduces you to super interesting and informative people you won't find anywhere else.
1: I want you to listen very, very carefully.
0: Technology is accelerating at an exponential speed. Can you imagine in 20 more years, hopefully you and I are still around, where things will be? I mean, and I think before you and I die, assuming we live the normal lifespan, we will become pseudo-androids. You heard it from me first. (laughs) Hey everybody, happy new year. What an insane start to the new year, huh? Remember this, change is the only constant, and this too shall pass. Today is season two, episode one of Dave the Lawyer podcast. Hope you had great holiday season and I hope your new year is going well, despite the way seem seemingly everything's going so poorly so far. <laughs> uh, anyway, today I'm gonna talk to you about two things on my mind, and it's not politics. One, New Year's resolutions, and two, the title of this show for today. The fear of an AI dystopia. First, let's talk about New Year's resolutions. I remember when I was in college many moons ago, and I would go to the gym in September at the beginning of the school year. The gym would be packed, probably literally hundreds of people in the gym competing for the weights and the machines. But it didn't take more than a week or two before the numbers were whittled down to almost (laughs) nobody. Especially when the midterms came around. And I realized the stick-to-itiveness, as they call it, is the most important thing. I think sometimes we set our goals so high, we don't meet them. We start to feel guilty and then we give up altogether. So, something is better than nothing. If you have a resolution, let's just say it's going to the gym for this year. you have a resolution, set your goal high. But don't beat yourself up if you don't make it. Just do a little bit every day. Maybe just go on the treadmill for 10 minutes and walk instead of running your two-mile goal. Something is better than nothing. That 10 minutes, you're getting your heart going, blood circulating, you're burning calories and improving so many aspects of your health versus that 10 minutes of sitting, doing nothing. If you add those 10 minutes, seven days, that's an hour and 10 minutes. Of activity that you did of exercise versus the nothing. And if you don't make it, don't beat yourself up. You're just going to psych yourself out. Like back in college, after the new year, everyone would jump back into the gym again and then they would dwindle out again. They were beating themselves up or they set their goals too high. So something is better than nothing. Just do a little bit every day. And I like to use that same principle with All the daily tasks I have to do, I'm sure like you, there's all these tasks to do. And I make a list and it seems like no matter how many I knock off, there's always like three more coming at it at the same time for every one I knocked off. So what I used to do is try to get them all done in one go so I could kick my feet up. But now I realize that no matter, even if I do that, there's going to be an infinite number of new ones coming in. So I look at the most important ones. And I try to do one, two, or three, depending on my energy level, per day. Knock out the important ones. Just Even if you can only do one a day, just knock out one important thing a day and then let yourself relax. It's a lot less overwhelming. And eventually, like the law of attrition, each ant putting a a grain of sand into into the mound, it can build a huge mound even if you're a tiny ant, just little by little. So, hopefully, your New Year's resolutions are going well, and hopefully, you're having a good year. Today's episode, I have a conversation with my friend Jay Hempill. Jay and I met in basic training in October of 2001. After the attacks of September 11th, we were the first officer training class. And when I showed up to Alabama and Maxwell Air Force Base in October of 2001, I was nervous like everybody else. We didn't know what the future held. My class was supposed to have about 105 people training to become officers. But when I showed up, more than half of the people didn't show up because somewhere in between the time when they signed up and the time when they were supposed to show up, there were the attacks. The 50 of us or so that were left were real gung-ho and ended up being a really good group of people in my basic training Jay Hempel was one of them I didn't know him from Adam at the time but now he's become a lifelong friend because I found out within a few days that he was stationed at the same new assignment as me at Edwards Air Force Base in the desert in California we drove across the country together we saw the Grand Canyon and a lot of interesting sights. Back then, we didn't have cell phones, so we had a system where we would follow each other, and if we got lost, we'd pull off at the nearest exit after we lost each other, make a right, and find the first gas station and wait for the other guy. And I guess if we lost each other, I think our backup system was email. Boy, how things have changed since then. I can't even imagine not having a cell phone, but sure enough, there we were. So... Do you all remember 1996 when Kasparov took on the deep blue computer? This was a big moment in my life. I first started playing chess when I was four years old. I've been playing my whole life. And like many of you, the Queen's Gambit TV show on Netflix kind of respawned my interest in a game and a love that I set down for a long time. Now I'm back into it as much, if not more, than ever. And I could feel it making my brain grow. I think it's a beautiful game and I love analyzing and I love the feeling it gives my brain of being challenged and making it grow. So at age four, I learned from playing my brother who was three years older than me. And needless to say, I got completely slaughtered for at least a decade. Every single game I ever played, I got slaughtered, 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 but I never stopped because I had a goal of one day being able to beat my brother. Finally, around the age of 13 or 14, I finally did. That gave me a lot of confidence. I've lost a lot of games, and I've won a lot of games since. But I think it's important to to just keep trying, just like your New Year's resolution. Well, anyway, back to 1996, humanity versus AI. Kasparov, the greatest living chess master in the world, taking on AI. This is a big moment for humanity in my book. We were, most of us, rooting for Kasparov, although a lot of people, I'm sure, who were into AI were rooting for Deep Blue. Kasparov beat Deep Blue and it temporarily saved us from the idea that one day AI might be smarter than us at some things, if not everything. <laughs> but sure enough, a year later, during the rematch, Kasparov lost to Deep Blue. I felt like somebody punched me in the stomach. It felt the same as when my favorite sports team loses in a championship, only somehow it was bigger than that because it was a fundamental shift, I think, in AI versus human brains and what they're capable of. And I think it triggered a a fear and an anxiety in me and probably a lot of other people. The same anxiety that's triggered in us now when we think of what I call a AI dystopia, a sort of exterminator world. Well, many years have gone by, and I've thought about that chess mass between Kasparov and Deep Blue many, many times. So finally, now that I have this rekindled interest in chess, I looked into it a bit more, and thanks to the wonders of the Internet and computing, AI, thank you, I watched a video of Kasparov talking at a TED Talks. And he admitted that when it happened, when he lost, he felt a lot of negative emotions. But now he seems to have a a very positive reaction to it all. He's learned to embrace AI and embrace change. I think that's what we need to do. We need to embrace change. Uh, So what I've done is I've tried to look at the positives of AI. There was a time when I was young, I didn't have a cell phone. And I used to make fun of people that had cell phones. And now I can't even imagine not having one. There was a time when I didn't have a computer and I used to make fun of people with computers. And now I couldn't imagine not having one. And when I look at it all, there's a positive and negative to everything in this world. But I think there's been a lot of positive, overall positive change from access to information. I love that I can look up the answer to just about everything, learn anything that I want uh, real quickly and basically for free most of the time. So I had a conversation with this my friend Jay Hempel. We talk about AI and the changes that are coming. I hope you'll enjoy the conversation. Remember this, change is the only constant. If you can't beat them, join them. I think it's time to embrace the changes that are coming and look to how AI can help us improve how we interact with each other and our planet so here's hoping to some good change i hope you enjoy my conversation with jay hemphill all right we're recording so don't air your dirty laundry now <laughs> how's it going
1: doing great Dave. thanks for having me
0: what kind of are you drinking coffee this morning
1: I am. Just a good old-fashioned K-cup out of the uh, mm. German machine that uh, spits that stuff out. So,
0: What kind of coffee is it?
1: Caribou coffee K-cup. Your typical straight black coffee.
0: No cream, no sugar. I see you're not comfortable with your masculinity because clearly it tastes better with cream and sugar if you're uh, willing to effeminize yourself a bit.
1: <laughs> you know, for the longest time, I was a I was a cream but no sugar guy. It just got so frustrating having to like manage the fridge like to make sure that, oh, no, cream in the house, yes, we need coffee at the office, no cream in the office. So I no. just said, you know what, if I always set my standards low, I will only be pleasantly surprised.
0: <laughs> That's true. The cleanup in the office of your mug is a lot easier if there's no sugar or cream added. I agree with you. Yeah. So you're looking good. You haven't aged much.
1: Well, I was going to say, you look very, very trim. Right?
0: Thank good you. Good for you. I mean, I yeah. still eat carbs, although... To be fair, I, I'm like way, I eat way, way healthier than I ever did before. I I mean, just I, I eat, I make all my own stuff from scratch. Yeah. But I still eat carbs, but I've cut them way down. I mean, it's all about the carbs at the end of the day, as far as I'm concerned. I don't care what anyone says.
1: It is 100%. The I only can... thing that ever worked for me is that keto diet was probably the closest thing to describe what I did. Mm-hmm. And uh, I saw some, somewhere they had a keto slogan that said my, my favorite cereal is bacon and eggs. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so like...
0: Can we talk about this idea? I have uh, I went to a bar conference and they were talking about how AI with with some automated website you probably know because they steal a lot of wills uh, clients away from an uh, an actual attorney. Where there's some of the big automated ones out there, where it's like fifty dollars for a will, as if it's yeah. work. Whatever one it was, I don't want to out them on this anyway, but they were were showing how like this graph and they were taking away all this business from people like you and me. And like I always used to tell people, you never know the mistake that you're making in your will until you're already dead and your heirs end up figuring out, oops, I guess you should have spent $250 on an attorney to do it because now it's going to cost, you know, 50 grand and lost whatever. But you don't know those mistakes. It's too late. Well, anyway, uh, I digress. So they, they're chipping away. Mm-hmm. As AI gets better and better, it's chipping away more and more, automating phone calls, chatbots, all these things. I foresee a time where you have a, 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 a strong enough database, uh, a network of, of very powerful computers. They have every case that's ever happened, every statute that's ever happened, every ruling that's ever happened. It processes it all at lightning speed. How as an attorney could you ever compete with that kind of knowledge? like Kasparov lost. To me, this was a big deal. I don't know if you remember in the late 90s when Kasparov lost to that, mm. that supercomputer. It was like a punch to the gut because I was really rooting for the human. Yeah. And if, if a computer in 1990, whatever it is, seven, could be Kasparov in, in chess, I'm like, we got a problem coming, folks. But now <laughs> we're we're 23 years later. And it's encroaching on other things, driving, flying, all these things. Like, what's to stop a computer from going, like, let's say he was arguing in court. It knows every statute of every that's ever existed, the history of all the statutes and all the case law that's ever lived. And it has, presumably, less prejudice because it's a computer. And it doesn't say, you know, I don't like this judge because he reminds me of my uncle such and such. He was a jerk. Sure. What do you think? you think 50 100 years from now we lose our we lose our jobs
1: 50 or 100 years from now I'll be not working one way or the other <laughs> um, so I guess the best answer to that question is maybe um, in the sense that so much of it is of, of the law at least is will it's subjective it's it's not a linear calculation where you can say well this one is 55 percent probability therefore it wins on the preponderance of the evidence, so much of it, especially, and I love this. This is going to sound self-serving, but especially in the stuff that, that I do, there's no right answers. You know, some people say I have X number of dollars, I have Y number of children. This this child has Z level of aptitude, and they married a spouse that has Q level of integrity and Z level of trust, whatever. Okay, great. Let's get in there and 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 apply a number to absolutely everything. It still doesn't give you the right answer because Some of it is, what do you want? Subjective. Uh, You know, some people would love to say, hey, my job is to provide multi-generational wealth and a safeguard against all of life's controllables for my kids. And I'm going to set up trusts that take their ability to do that away. Awesome. The exact same fact pattern could be presented to the next client who says, no, I don't want my kids to be free from stress or worry. I'm not going to cheat them out of the things that my spouse and I went through to get to this point and the greatest lesson I can, the greatest inheritance I can leave them is, um, unconditional love, but the experience to go through trials and tribulations. I mean, take, uh, take each of us. I mean, I, I, you and I've known each other for 20 years, you know, I, we both know our, each other's family of origin. And I think we can, I think we would both say about ourselves and each other that some level of struggle, uh, by design that our parents could have pre- prevented, I wound up doing us both some good. So um, to kind of pivot to, to what I do for a living, it's sitting down and having those conversations and say, all right, you want to help your children. I want to help my children, but based upon our life experiences and values, the how is different uh, even with the same what goal in mind. Right. You know, I want to provide X number of incentives and, and, condition them on certain behaviors you may have uh, the same goal and take a different path so i'm, a, I'm guessing in, in what we do computers are going to be helpful in terms of probabilities but ultimately it comes down to individual choice on the part of the person on the the end user the consumer side right you know this is this is my goal this is how i intend to get there and we can and reasonable minds can differ and you know Actually that's that's the best answer I can give you, but I heard an interesting discussion yesterday about driverless cars. They were talking about how, you know, everyone's talked about well, five years from now we're not gonna have the need to, to own a vehicle because you can just summon a car and it'll come pick you up and, and parking lots in cities will be a thing of the past. And somebody made a good point. It's like this was a discussion that we were all having this time last year, right? Right what happens if you're living in California and your governor says we're on lockdown? Do you, do you, do you have the power to summon that car? If some, you know, lawful sovereign says what car, you know, it's in our public interest that we don't have people moving on the highways. And so the ability, even if it's less efficient from an autonomy standpoint to be able to get in a car and drive to a place without the permission of somebody who's in temporary charge of the state is, is, an, an issue where agency and autonomy are more important than efficiency, right? Um, so, you know, the, uh, computers provide a, a level of central control that makes things more efficient and doesn't always make things better.
0: You, you've you thrown a lot at me. There's a lot to contemplate and talk about there, but we play devil's advocate. Right you, know, you, have, you ever heard of a, a Monte Carlo scenario? I've
1: heard that term. I don't know what it means.
0: They have computer programs now. Um, An Excel, if you want to buy the premium version, and it'll crunch numbers and it'll crunch it millions and as many times as you want, 100 million times. And it'll come up with probabilities in every scenario that you throw at it. This thing we had to do in the MBA was pretty much way over my head, but you have to be a master of statistics to really work it right. Anyway, it, the point is that it crunches millions, hundreds of millions of, of calculations, it gives you probabilities that are reaching the point of almost a perfection and a calculation, which a human brain, obviously, we, we probably do make millions of calculations, but we're, we're a little bit more prone to error. Of course, it's only as good as the human that programmed it for now. Foresee a time where there's a computer that puts the inputs, crunches it, crunches it billions of times with, I don't know, we'll say millions of other computers, and then it goes to the client and it says here are the five scenarios that two hundred years ago Jay Hempel would have would have per- provided his client. If mm-hmm. you go down route A, there's this probability that this will happen with your offspring. Route B, there's this C, D, E, and F. You go ahead and choose. But I guess I'm saying, what is it about a human being uh, inherently that would be superior to a computer? assuming it got to the point that it could do logic puzzles at least as well, maybe better than us. We have emotion, but emotions don't make good decisions for the most part. They get in the way.
1: So so let me give you this example. I am a 38-year-old fellowship-trained cardiothoracic surgeon. I'm at the beach, and I hear a drowning swimmer. Statistically, it makes no sense for me to risk my life running into the – surf to drown, to survive some stranger, even if I, especially if I knew all the facts, The computer says stay on the beach. Right. <laughs> um, uh-huh. But, but the goodness of living in a moral society knows that, you know, we're all going to enjoy the surf a little bit if we look after each other, even when it doesn't make um, statistical sense to save that person. Um, maybe there's a, there's an, uh, there's a dividend to inefficient generosity that, a computer is not going to capture the same way or or maybe it does billion billions of calculations down the line it factors that in but i think somebody just has to have a natural instinct that says no i'm going to do the right thing even if it's not the logical thing
0: these are great philosophical discussions and i appreciate you indulging me because i i try to have these conversations with people and most people just say so what's on tv <laughs> you know, I, I think i feel like a weirdo sometimes but these are the things i think about all the time so let me is it, if it's my moving chest now, uh, let me move my knight forward and attack your queen. Uh, that same scenario, you have a lifeguard that's a boat. and has all the resuscitation equipment and it has mobilized arms, whatever it needs, like a human. And it goes out and it saves the guy and measures his heartbeat and uh, the, the water and in, in his lungs and can do all the vitals and it, well, well, why couldn't a, a robot save the, that drowning victim? And there's no calculation of risk to, to itself because it can't drown like you could when you ran out there.
1: This is going to end in robot sharks with laser beams, isn't it? <laughs>
0: <laughs> the thing is, I mean, it's, uh, maybe it sounds far-fetched for a lot of people, but this is, as far as I'm concerned, it's the inevitable future. It's, it's mm-hmm. happening, and it's happening at a lightning speed. It's accelerating. I mean, these are real issues that I think you and I are going to see in the next 10 to 15 years. Let me take you back in time. You remember the first time you got a cell phone? When was yeah. it? Was it when you and I got the cell phones at the mall?
1: Yeah, it had to be. Yeah, the Antelope Valley Mall.
0: Okay. Those were actually pretty nice little phones. Let me take you back in time. <laughs> Five years before that, when uh, my parents gave me uh, a, a piece of luggage with a with a brick inside <laughs> and they yeah, said yeah. it was a mobile phone and they said only use it in emergencies. Cause it was like a thousand dollars a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, so I never, I never used it two or three years later. At most, they had the kind of phone you and I bought, which was the ones that were about the size of phones now. Yeah. And it could make calls and it could receive calls and it could text. But you had to hit AAA, CCCC, You had to remember when you had to (laughs) such a pain. It wasn't worth it, but it could text. And I thought, this is a waste of time. I hated texting back then. But I remember getting that phone. It was just before I met you, about a year before I met you, when I splurged and got a a cell phone. And I thought, I I remember saying to my roommate, you know, I bet in 10 years, the technology will advance where you can get a camera in here and it'll have a GPS and you could check the internet on it and it'll be like a, a Star Trek device. Mm-hmm. Well, I was wrong. Four or five years later, the iPhone right. came out, uh, that's changed everything. Because I, you know, I was too cheap to get the first iPhone, but I finally broke down. I got like the first Android, which was a piece of crap, by the way. But mm-hmm. but I got it, and I was immediately getting sucked in. And I'm like, I think this was like 2007 or 2008 when I broke down. And I remember my friend who was already addicted to phones going, oh, welcome aboard. I'm glad to see that you, you're you discovering <laughs> how much can be done on these devices. And now, I mean, I'm looking at mine now. I would never go anywhere without this thing.
1: Yeah.
0: Right? It's like more important, almost as important as making sure you have clothes on. Like you, you don't want to go anywhere without the phone. This is yeah. 20 right. years later. Mm-hmm. We're completely sucked in by them. Technology is accelerating at an exponential speed. Can you imagine in twenty more years? Hopefully, you and I are still around. Where things will be? I mean,
1: yeah, it's it's Elon, pretty wild.
0: Elon Musk, he installed something to become an android. <laughs> I'm sure you read about it. Some sort of a, a chip. I don't know what it was. Where he got it installed in his body or his brain to prove so he could interface with computers to, <laughs> directly. Which I don't know if it was a stunt or it's real. With that guy, I wouldn't be surprised if it's real that's the future. I mean, and I think before you and I die, if we're assuming we live the normal lifespan, we will become pseudo androids. You heard it from me first.
1: (laughs) It's a constant struggle in our household. You know, I, I fell enamored with smart technology and smart home stuff about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago. You know, I've got, I did everything I could within my, um, shall we say prudent conservative financial limits to to buy things that, that make the the world smarter around me and I, I've also found that the human capacity like s- smart homes require consent right smart devices require consent of the user uh, and so you know I got one of those robot vacuum cleaners where I can walk in there and tell my smart device a smart device you know vacuum the living room and that's cool except until somebody leaves a long, strand of cord or wire draped across the living room for the smart device to hit <laughs> and, you know, siphon itself up and then be completely inoperable 30 seconds later. It's like the people kept putting human beings kept putting obstacles in the way of the smart devices. And it just may be that, that chess match between the end users resistance and the technology's ability to get out in front of that. Um, I have a rule about chargers in my household, which is if you never move it, comma, you never have to look for it. It's always in the same place.
0: <laughs> I know um, this, I know this problem. Do
1: you know how many times I've bought replacement chargers? And it's just, they just, there's this black hole of like, you know, and, and by the way, if I called somebody right now in my household, three of the four phones would be powered off for lack of battery.
0: Um <laughs>
1: It's like, oh, the smart, the, the smart device is no match for the indomitable will of the end user to resist it.
0: <laughs> I got from my my friend from the cane distillery. He gave me, I don't know, 20 cane distillery pens, and I put them in the kitchen drawer so that whenever I was on the phone and I suddenly needed a pen, would you like to guess what, Jay? They're all gone. Uh-huh. I don't, I'm going to order one of those trucks. Beep, beep, back it up. Let's bring a crate full of pens into the house.
1: There was a, an episode of the Cosby show one time where I think the dad on that show was playing a cat and mouse games with his kids and the things that he wanted the kids to not use, like pens or chargers, he would hide in the things that they didn't like. Like he <laughs> he like the kids didn't like putting up the Christmas lights with him, so he put like the snack cakes. In the box marked Christmas lights, <laughs> <So the kids laughs> will see that and, and and run the other way.
0: You yeah. know what I think? I you know what I think. I'm going to do. I'm going to get one of those gun safes in my house. But the only thing inside of it is going to be highlighters and pens and a stapler or some scotch tape. Oh my gosh! And there's a glue stick, <laughs> <And> some stamps.
1: <laughs> oh, forget it. Yeah.
0: Forget it. <laughs> The amount of time I've spent looking for a pen.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, oh! how about, uh, I, I don't know what type of television you have, but <laughs> when was the last time the remote control was where it was supposed to be?
0: Oh, I got a good one for you there, sir. I finally shelled out and got some <laughs> real end tables, and now they're always in the drawer of the end table.
1: Oh, you're kidding? Yeah, I, th- I thought you were going to say I got some Gorilla Glue and glued it to my end table.
0: <laughs> we used to have an end table without a drawer, and I would say just put it on the end table because <laughs> we got three remotes. You know how it is. Oh, yeah. And yeah, I mean it's like why is the remote on the dining room table in the dining room? I don't understand it. But why is it well, this I do understand why it's buried in the bottom of the, the bowels of the couch somewhere.
1: Yeah. You'll be doing somebody's laundry and you'll reach into the to the, to the the washing machine <laughs> and you'll pick up a pair of sweatpants that contains the remote for the for the downstairs TV. It's like, "Well, there's fifty more dollars. We won't be singing again.
0: <laughs> the, the worst part about the devices now is you can't turn the damn TV on or off without the remote. Oh, forget it. Forget <laughs> I, I it. had to, I had to unplug it once because <laughs> I couldn't turn it off. I'm like, what is this, 1840? <laughs> right, right, right. I had the device and <laughs> the power off manually. <laughs> Can we invent yeah. technology where I push a button on the device and it turns it on and off? It's
1: so ridiculous. Yeah, it is, it, is pretty, it is pretty crazy.
0: Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jay Hemphill. I realize there's a million things we could have talked about in that quick little episode, but this is a topic that you can talk about for the rest of your life. I'm sorry if I didn't hit all the points that you wanted to hear us discuss, but it was an impromptu conversation. We didn't even plan having the conversation about that topic. If you enjoy it, then hopefully we can do some more of it. And if not, we'll move on to something else. Stay safe, stay positive, and remember all storms pass. This too shall pass. Thanks for tuning in. Bye.